Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Tresedo from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Dr. Peter Bagshaw, GP and CCG uh, Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And today we're talking about COVID-19 and mental health, the effect on society and on on individuals and post-pandemic growth. Seems quite topical because it's been, what a year, what a year, Peter. Absolutely. And it's really interesting, isn't it? A a lot of people are saying, oh, well, we're all in the same boat. And I like the quote that says, no, we're not all in the same boat. We're in the same storm. And uh, we're in completely different boats. So something I've been struck by, as I'm sure you have, is how differently COVID has affected people. So for some people, it's the direct effects of having had COVID. And uh, I've, I've got personal experience of that and long COVID. And for some people, it's the effects of lockdown. Yes. And other effects on, on, on our lives, which impact on mental health and well-being? Well, overall, they say that uh, the mental health issues have gone up by about a third with particular hotspots in terms of eating disorders. So there definitely has been an adverse effect on people. But I think the the reasons for that are very, very varied. So for some people, uh, as I say, it's it's actually getting the illness and living through what's a pretty scary disease because you feel as though you're drowning if you have significant uh, COVID. And then a lot of us have then had the long COVID with brain fog and fatigue. uh, And some people I know who've lost their jobs as a result of that. And then for other people, it's been the financial impact um, because they've not been able to work or they're falling into one of the categories where they're not getting support. It can be cancelled plans and Again, my, my son was due to get married, and that's now not going to happen till next year. Um, bereavement, of course, is a, a huge issue for a lot of people. And also lots of guilt around um, COVID and the way we've had to respond. So it, it's been a, a big and, and very varied effect on lots of people. And of course, it's stopped us socialising in the way that we might in the street or in, in the town centre or, or our village or, or at schools, because look how they've been affected. Absolutely. And as well as the effect on education, um, a lot of people I know have really missed those, the proms and the, the social side of, of schooling as well. It's just not the same doing it from home, is it? Of course, I think we've also got to mention that there are a few people who actually quite like lockdown. People right. who've maybe got a bit of agoraphobia, social anxiety, it's quite suited them. It, intro, the introverts have taken over uh, after us all needing to be social. But I think that's where they're going to get problems now as we emerge from lockdown and get back into being the, uh, the social animals that most of us want to be. And I think some people are really going to struggle with that. That's interesting. Can we just develop that a a little bit? So we've been in lockdown, we've been in restriction, that's been maintained partly by regulations and rules, but partly by fear. And so a lot of us have been in the fear response of a bit like a snail retreating into its shell. And of course, as the snail comes out, it comes out gently and it it, it tests what's going on and it doesn't always like what what it sees. So do you see that as we come out of a a state where we've been feeling safe, but fearfully feeling safe in our homes, um, that that there are any 
potential problems there? I think definitely. And talking to friends, family and, and patients, I think, again, there's going to be a huge range of reactions to that. So some people are just desperate to get back to normal and get out to the pub and uh, go on their foreign holidays. Others really don't want to to emerge at all and want to stay in their shell. And a lot of people are somewhere in between where, as you say, they're just going to peek out tentatively, but rather fearfully as well. So it's really hard to know how people are going to respond. But I think we're going to see a range of problems going on into the future. Thank you. And thinking about a range of, of problems and a range of symptoms, sort of some emotional and some mental health, what sort of things are we seeing as a result of, of, of change over the mental health uh, uh, since the outbreak? Well, there have been quite a few uh, surveys on how people have felt. And generally, things like stress, anxiety uh, are, are increased by about 50% overall. Um, a lot of us are eating more than normal. It's reported 40% of us are eating more than normal. Um, about half of us are drinking more than normal. Um, so there are these non-adaptive ways of coping with stress, which a lot of us are, are doing, which unfortunately will have a, a lot of uh, effects going forwards. There are also issues around, unfortunately, domestic violence, which has been in the news and I think that's going to have a, a lasting impact on families and particularly children who have to witness domestic violence. And then the other long lasting thing I think will be, we are seeing this huge spike in uh, body image problems and eating disorders, particularly in older girls, younger women. And that could lead on to eating disorders ongoing, which as we know, is one of the most dangerous uh, psychological mental health issues to have. Very interesting. So we're seeing some things that we might expect from the fear and stress response, the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic drive of adrenaline, noradrenaline, fight and flight. And of course, for many of us, that's suppressed. And so it can come out as irritability or exhaustion or frustration or confusion or, 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 or anger or difficulty sleeping. Uh, and in amongst that is the parasympathetic freeze response, which needs to be discharged at some point. And there's the old truism um, that under pressure, the yang aspect, the yang aspect invades another country or drinks alcohol, whilst the yin aspect drink goes shopping or eats chocolate. And as those four mechanisms are projection of our issues as others with anger or irritability uh, or just blotting it out with substances you mentioned increased drinking or um, distraction behavior well we can't go shopping at the moment but we we do other things instead and that might be watching um, watching lots of box sets or or other things like that or or um comfort behavior the, the eating of chocolate and and you've mentioned more eating and of course the comfort behavior in a certain group is actually control behavior. And that's where we're seeing the, the anorexia coming out because we can control our thoughts or we try and control our body image. We could try and control our eating. Uh, so these in a way are to be expected as, as normal people under pressure um, have coping strategies, which throw them out of balance. I think that's right. And you've, you brought up an interesting point that a lot of, the things that we we label either as eating disorders or OCD 
are exactly, as you say, they're about trying to bring back control in a situation where we feel out of control. Um, unfortunately, they, they tend to be maladaptive ways of gaining control. And luckily, there are, there are things we can do other than uh, eating chocolate and invading other countries. And we've talked about these in the past, haven't we? Exercise, being out in nature, uh, music, uh, all of those things are, are much better ways of controlling anxiety. Absolutely. The five ways to well-being and being able to self-regulate. Uh, just we, We've actually covered a couple of pages from a, a reference here of, of healthandself.care, www.healthandself.care, pages 97 and 98. I wasn't I wasn't intending that we should do that, but it's all in there about projection, blot out, distraction and, and comfort behaviour and how that may actually feed into eating disorders. I think that's good because you've mentioned some quite technical terms there. And I, I always worry that when we talk about the sympathetic nervous system, we use the word sympathetic in a completely different way to how most people use it. So do, do you just want to unpack that for our listeners? Who... Absolutely. So the autonomic nervous system, our engine management system in the body, uh, keeps us ticking over. And we've got two aspects to that. One is the probably the predominant one for most mammals, which is parasympathetic. That's uh, rest, digest, chill and repair. Uh, and that's what should be happening all the time in the background and probably is. But if there's danger, we flip onto something called the sympathetic nervous system, which is nothing to do with sympathy. It's all to do with responding to a threat. Uh, and it flips us into fight and flight, which comes from fear. And we have the uh, neurochemicals of adrenaline and noradrenaline. We get sweaty palms, dry mouth, uh, raised heartbeat, raised blood pressure, um, tunnel vision, uh, and, and butterflies in our stomach, and, and a whole load of physical symptoms which are coming from the stress response. And that stress response long-term is not good. Um, it's fine if there's something chasing us that we need to run away from, like a tiger, which is why it was evolved, but actually it's, it's, it needs to be um, not suppressed, but we need to make sure we burn off surface adrenaline frequently, which is why exercise is so good. And even just running on the spot in your own home, um, 10 seconds running on the spot or star jumps or standing up and sitting down will actually help you um, burn off that adrenaline. But taking that aside, so we've we've talked about the autonomic nervous system there. If we come back to the, so we're going back to the, um, what's happening for people what other mental health effects have we been seeing with, with covid there again i think we've got to separate out the effects of the infection and the effects of the lockdown and the societal changes so it does look as though covid has a direct effect on the brain so as you know there's been this report of, of long covid with brain fog, memory problems, fatigue, headaches, insomnia. And it looks as though some of that is actually a direct inflammatory effect of the virus, which is now shown to, to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, and there's these fascinating links between, uh, for instance, what we eat and our mood, what we do in our mood. And, and it looks as though the viral inflammation in the brain is actually causing direct effects of anxiety and insomnia. Uh, even aside from the other things that, that you mentioned. And that's a very real thing. And I think as, as doctors, we need to be very sympathetic to that and also to, 
to say to people that there's an awful lot we don't know. This is a new disease. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right at the beginning of the long COVID journey and uh, we just don't know what's ahead of us. Um, so I, I think it, it, we need as, as professionals to be empathic and humble in, in view of a new disease. And certainly not to dismiss people and tell them to pull themselves together or uh, react in an unsympathetic way. Thank you, Peter. So we've talked a little bit about the direct effects of the disease. We've talked a bit about um, the effects on society, and there's going to be short-term and and long-term effects. Are any groups at particular risk? Uh... Yes, absolutely. So we talked about the the different uh, boats that we're in, didn't we? And the people who seem to be in the rockiest boats, children, and particularly uh, older girls because of the self-image problems and eating disorders, but but all children, I think, because of the effects on their education, because they've missed out socially. Um, so they seem to be particularly badly affected. The elderly as well, who have been affected more by the physical effects of COVID, of course, but also the mental health issues. And I, I know an awful lot of older people who've seen virtually nobody for the last 12 months. They've just self-isolated at home. And uh, if they haven't got family close by or family allowed to see them, then they've been virtually by themselves. I've been privileged to be one of the vaccinators, as I'm sure you have, and and vaccinating the the 80-year-olds, 70-year-olds uh, and 90-year-olds in, in January, it was the outing for them. It was the first outing that many of them had actually had, and they were dressed up, and it was really, really almost a, a party atmosphere for some people because they'd managed to get out of captivity. Mm. They'd been let out of prison, it felt. Uh, so very yeah. curious uh, emotions there. And the vaccine, that's, that's a very interesting thing, I think, in that it shows how our reaction to a situation is much more important than the situation itself. So like you, I've been seeing a lot of particularly older people who are delighted to have the vaccine say, well, yes, we know there's a tiny risk there is with anything, um, but that's fine because this will allow me to be free and I, I want to be a part of it. Whereas to other people, this tiny one in a million risk of, of clotting is something that they're extremely fearful of. So it just goes to show, I think, that we're not just buffeted around the, by the storm that we're in. We can, to a degree, steer the boat that we're in and have some control over the way we react. Uh, as Shakespeare said, I think, and I may be misquoting, there is nothing in life that is good or ill, but thinking makes it so. And so it's our yeah. reactions to the circumstances that are... That are um, interesting mm. and that's what makes it interesting for us doesn't it because we can actually help people change their reactions to things that's what uh, cbt that we've talked about before does that's what talking therapists do uh, it, it's not just about saying oh dear how sad tell me all about it it's about challenging people to look at a situation in a different way not to dwell on the past because that makes you sad not to dwell on the future because that makes you anxious, but to try and live in the moment yes. and be alive now. 
I think we're going to be thinking, talking in a, in a subsequent uh, uh, future um, podcast with Dr. Rani Bora about three principles and, and mental health, and that'll be very interesting to talk about then. Um, so just, just thinking, Peter, again about uh, what you were mentioning about some articles and studies about uh, long COVID and how it's affecting people, we'll put some links in the, in, in the uh, reference on, on the website for that for anybody to, to look at. But just picking up the, um, the the cabin fever almost of people coming out of, of lockdown, is that going to lead to excess in the summer, do you think, um, with people partying or, or, or uh, excess drinking or other things? Well, certainly that's the lesson of history, isn't it? That was the, the roaring 20s after the privations of uh, First World War and, of course, the influenza pandemic. Uh, which which killed more people than World War I. So absolutely, people had all that pent-up uh, emotion that they wanted to share and went a little bit a little bit crazy. And I think there will be some people who do that um, and others who, as we were saying earlier, will remain anxious and, and probably won't get back into what everybody's calling the new normal, whatever that may be. So yes, I, I think we will see some people who, who want to just tear off the shackles of the last 12 months and party mm, interesting we shall wait to see this happen so thinking about local support and coping during the the covid19 pandemic i know somerset's been proactive in this could you just run us through some of the things that have that have been put in in in, in train to help people well we've managed to go um, for 50 minutes or so without mentioning Somerset Mindline, which is very unusual in our podcast, isn't it? We, we always give them a plug and, and okay. you know their number off, off by heart, don't you? 01823-276-892. And a reminder that this is a new service that's been set up uh, to cope with the increased pressure uh, that is being recognised under COVID. It's a 24-7 service, all age, anyone can phone uh, you don't have to have a, a identified mental health problem or anything at all. If you've got any anxieties, they would be the, the first stop. So whether we're in hibernation with difficulties or whether we're coming out, they're, they're able to help us. So uh, what sort of support in Somerset is there as well as Mindline, Peter? Well, uh, as you probably know, we've been one of the successful trailblazer uh, CCGs uh, and we've got a bid uh, accepted to put this new way of working in so that we now have mental health workers in every practice. Obviously, they're do doing a lot of work remotely at the moment, but it means that you don't have this problem where you've got a mental health problem and you don't fit the criteria. So e any adult who wants to see a mental health worker, whatever their problem, can be referred by their GP to somebody in the surgery. In addition to that, there have been some specific things that have been set up, again, through the same uh, Trailblazer project. So We've got, used to be called crisis houses and then crisis cafes. We've got lots of scaled down versions that we're calling crisis front rooms. So people who are in mental health crisis can often go to these rather than needing to go into hospital, uh, which has been shown not to be helpful for a lot of people, particularly with personality disorder. We've got a lot more community pathways for uh, dealing with trauma. We've got the... Uh, Talking Therapies, that Somerset Talking Therapies has been around for a long time and currently has very short waiting lists, I'm told. Uh, so that's readily available. So there's a lot of help out there. 
That's great. And uh, uh, new in in uh, this spring is the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing dot org website, which is a resource for all health and care staff in Somerset, which we're very pleased that uh, has been supported by the CCG and others to to develop. It's a signpost to support uh, the staff cohort and help people find what can support their needs. And uh, as our producer reminds us, the new home of the podcast as well. Absolutely. And I think there are groups, we were talking earlier about which groups have been particularly affected. We know that people working in healthcare and people working uh, in nursing homes have been disproportionately affected and have, have been through a lot of trauma in what they've had to witness and go through and deal with every day. Uh, can I make a plea while we're talking about this, Andrew, that sadly we're, when we're now going from um, you know, NHS heroes and clapping and rainbows to sadly reports of abuse of uh, mental health workers uh, as well as ambulance workers, shop workers and others who are forward-facing whether this just reflects a, a general frustration by the public, I don't know. But please, let, let's make one of the things that we've learned from the last 12 months to try and be kind to each other. General practice is often accused as, of not seeing patients. We're, we're working as hard as we ever have done. We're, we're just currently advised to do initial telephone triage. Um, but we're still there as we, as we have been throughout the pandemic. Still there and actually working harder because by doing things by telephone first, all the business as usual, and then seeing people face to face, often there's extra work, especially with PPE and other precautions. And it's incredibly frustrating. I understand for patients, particularly if they're on an elective waiting list uh, for surgery or something like that. So I, I can understand why people feel frustration. I just ask everyone to just count to five, Realise that the other people are doing their best and try and find other ways of venting your frustration. Maybe taking it out on a, a football or a, uh, an innocent nettle that's growing by the, the wayside or something like that. Well, it is interesting. It's a very human approach to actually bottle up our frustration and cope with it or feel anxious and displace into frustration and then, then let it out. And of course, we find a target and we might... We might um, choose our parents as the target or the NHS as the target or, or, or generally we choose people we like I don't know why or somebody we know well and it really is a, a very curious way that we resort to the drama triangle which I know we've talked about in the past so we, we won't revisit that one today um, but and I think it reflects what you said that we've had this fight or flight reaction but we've had it for too long it yes. was great to get us through that initial crisis period but as time has gone on, that's just not sustainable. And all sorts of other bad chemicals then start coming into play, don't they? Uh, so that our, our tolerance levels uh, drop. So uh, a lot of people, uh, 50% of people uh, say report feeling more irritable in the last 12 months. And 32% of people feel increased anger. Interesting. So any particular top, top tips, um, 10 top tips or more of do's and don'ts for positive mental health as we come out of the pandemic? Well, we've talked about a few of the, the don'ts, haven't we, about uh, drinking too much, um, substance abuse. And I think a lot of us uh, find ourselves stuck in front of a screen and that's, that's been shown to be bad for our, our mental health. Uh, and, and focusing on, on the negative aspect, 
which is uh, easy to do. So do's, it comes back to making the choice to try and focus on the positive. Um, exercise we've talked about all the time and, and that has huge benefits, especially if it's done out in nature. And it doesn't mean everyone has to become a marathon runner. It's just doing whatever we're comfortable with. Short, sharp bursts seem to be helpful. A good diet. I, I think there's evidence that sugar is, is one of the, um, uh, the things that are potentially addictive. So a lot of us will comfort eat and that then gives us highs and lows in our blood sugar, which makes us feel much worse. Doing some sort of relaxation, taking a break from routine work we've talked about. So I think there are things we can do to emerge from this physically and mentally healthier if we choose to. Easier said than done, I know. And those of us who've had long COVID um, have found that our normal exercise routines uh, have, have slightly had to, to fall by the wayside because we're just not physically able to do them. So the snail comes gently out of its shell and starts moving on its track again. And picking up on, we, we've, we promised we'd mentioned post-pandemic growth. Um, um, and there's some interesting thoughts really there about loss and change. You can only mourn, you can only grieve if you have loved. And we all love the way we are, the way things have been. And of course, we've lost a lot of our usual familiar approaches. And so we go through the seven phases of, of change and loss, which are shock, denial, uh, anger, guilt, bargaining, depression, um, a flat, low state, and then acceptance. And as Trevor Griffiths talks about in Emotional Logic, these are actually preparation states. These are physical states that prepare us for change and growth. I worked for a boss once who always said, Andrew, never mind the problems, what's the learning you're getting? I mean, of course, we have to attend to the problems and issues, but it's a great shame to do the journey. Uh, to arrive at the destination and not to have learned anything along the journey. So we need to look out for what we're learning and to use those preparation states of, of, of shock, denial, anger, guilt, bargaining, depression, and uh, acceptance in their proper way. Uh, and I, I will give a reference of a free resource here, which is, again, um, healthandself.care, um, pages 115 to 125 and 179, are the maps and the details of of explaining that and i think if we understand that language of of how we how we experience emotions but they have useful purposes and meanings to help us transit forwards and to help us grow as social creatures as social beings as as human beings then we're less likely to get stuck uh, in states i think that's right i think we hopefully by the sort of things that we've been talking about today can become a little bit more self-aware we can be human beings rather than human doings and actually aware of our our emotions our feelings our reactions and become better people because of it Let, let's always try and take the positive absolutely and we have an email to get addressed to get in touch uh, if anybody wants to look and that's on the website so very pleased to have any comments or questions or any suggestions for any future topics. I think we're over 30 now uh, in, in total, and it's been a privilege to do it so far and look forward to a number more. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you.
And thank you, everyone, and look forward to meeting you next time. All the best. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Trisider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.